you can't make a show about the elements and think that kids who have the periodic table on their walls are not going to watch the show, okay? Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. Uh, our series has taken us up to episode 7, titled The Aftermath. It's written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konetsko. It is directed by Joaquim Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu. It's animated, as always, beautifully by Studio Mur, and the episode aired on May 19th, 2012. The IMDb rating of The Aftermath is a pretty respectable 8.4 out of 10. This one mm -hmm. seems pretty liked. Yeah, it certainly is. Um... I love that we just blow through these every time now because it's all the well, same. I say unfortunately we do have to. It is a little regrettable there's not more commentary to give on it, but it is literally the exact same crew every episode. So Yep. Um I mean so, points for consistency, I guess. Right, it makes things easier. Um so for our fun facts, for the first and only time in Legend of Korra, the opening newsreel features a speech by Tarlock as opposed to the narration by pro bending radio comp or broadcaster she she wrote shinobi there we go um i didn't know that because i never watch at least not you know when i'm re-watching i don't watch mm. the recaps because i don't need to i've seen the episode so many times so i didn't even know that that was a thing mm. so i went back and i was like oh yeah tarlock's giving like a whole speech and everything that's interesting um i know I, I i actually watch um on the i guess on the odd numbered episodes because i do it with like one and two and right. then three and four i watch the recaps before i watch my pair of episodes so i don't watch the recap for the second one but i do watch it for the first mm -hmm. yeah so that was interesting figuring that out um our second fun fact is while fighting the equalist mecha tanks tenzin uses a variation of his bleh, i cannot talk tenzin uses a variation of his father's famous air scooter to move about the room and dodge attacks i'm sure you uh picked up on that little yeah. bit of yeah it's really it was really very cool, cool. Yes, um, a more aggressive form of an air scooter, I guess. Less less fun, more fight. Um, and then <laughs> our third and final fun fact is, like this one's kind of long, like Zuko, Asami chooses to join Team Avatar after denouncing her father's cruelty. Coincidentally, the way they both turn against their respective fathers involves lightning. Asami turns against her father using an electric glove, while Zuko retaliates against his father with lightning redirection. So... That's that. really cool. I didn't yeah. think about that. I didn't either until like I saw that fun fact. I was like, oh yeah, that's true. I didn't I whether that was intentional or not, it's a good parallel. Um <laughs> but uh yeah, so that's I mean that's it for the fun facts, wasn't a lot, but uh so you were saying that before when we were talking, um uh, you were telling me that you had something you wanted to rant about about this episode. So I'm really curious what that is, <laughs> if you want to get straight into I, it. I do I do have beef about this episode. I know that you're dying to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so let me draw the situation out for you mm -hmm. here. They are fed information, basically. There's, there's a hunch. And really, when it boils down to it, it really is just a hunch mm -hmm. on Korra's part. Because it's even when I was hearing what um uh what's the what's her father's name again? Uh, Sato. Yeah, Hiroshi Sato. 
yeah, Hiroshi Sato. Even when she hears Hiroshi Sato on the phone, even I am just like, oh my gosh, like you farm girl. Like there's other <laughs> ways to strike besides physically striking things, but like, mm. okay, sure. But then she's like, no, he's evil. He's an equalist. I'm like, all right, we're kind of jumping to conclusions, but like I'm getting some shady vibes from him too. So at this point, it's not about what he said, it's about how he said it. I get that. I understand. And then they discover the big old secret tunnel. <laughs> secret, secret tunnel, tunnel. <laughs> under the mansion. <laughs> right? <laughs> Love it. A little different secret tunnel than we've experienced. But hey, yes. you know, it would have been very funny if they were walking, if um, uh, um, Bolin. Bolin and, and Maka <laughs> were walking down to Bolin and was like, secret tunnel. <laughs> Right, just a little call or, or was or was whistling it like as they went down to <laughs> yes. try to like alleviate the anxiety. That would have been funny. Um, <laughs> Maka just like stares at him the way that he would. Like, bro, seriously, <laughs> not the time. Which, which, by the way, I loved that moment where they tie up the police officer and he's like, "Yeah, just stay put until the chief gets back." Does that sound familiar? Because um, you said it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Great comeback, Bolin. I love that. <laughs> they were great. Bolin and Maka were great in this episode. But okay, okay. Mm-hmm. But I digress. So they all go down, you know, the not Bolin and Mako just yet, but they all go down there. Uh Tenzin and uh Chief uh both both, both, both I can't uh, Bayfon. I'm terrible at pronouncing her name. Um <laughs> We'll just call her Chief Mommy. So anyway, so so they go down there with Korra. <laughs> Let me have this, okay? And so they all go down there with Korra, and then they slam this giant door shut. And they're like, and all of a sudden, Sato is there, like the boss at the end of a video game, and he's there like, you don't, don't try to open that door. It's made of pure platinum. And I know all about your metal bending and just the purest metal, which I'm, you know, I presume means that, you know, with the mineral bits that are in regular metal created, it kind of helps with the whole metal bending thing because you're also kind of grabbing a little bits of rock that are in it. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, when they're trying to fight the mecha tanks, don't bother because the mecha tanks themselves are made of platinum. Well, let me tell you all a little something about platinum, folks. First Uh-oh. of all, you can bend it with your hands. That's... If you're building mechanical war machines, you don't want to build them out of something that if you hit it really hard with your fist, you could break through it. In fact, if you smash it with a rock, you could break through it, Cora. Cora could have literally used pebbles and ripped those things apart with rocks. You can punch holes in them. Also, let me tell you something else that makes me real mad about it. Because I checked it too. Because let me let me give you a little 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 heads up on why I know this stuff. Okay. Be- because in writing the Grimgar role playing game, I needed to make a list, a table of different elements that you can build things out of, and I needed to provide for the players a list of how hard these elements are if they build armor or structures or mm-hmm. weaponry out of these materials there's a little something called the Mohs scale and on it is the hardness of minerals listed on it mm-hmm. and on that scale gold is i think like a three or a four like it's really malleable like you can twist a gold chain with your hands mm-hmm. platinum's like a 4.5 steel is like six okay Uh platinum is not very strong 
They, right. he, he re, they could have smashed those things a million different ways. Is that really also, what you're ranting about, the platinum? <laughs> the room is made of stone and all kinds of other metal. It, it, it annoyed me so much that the metal benders were like, oh no, our little cables dispensers in our backs made of metal. They can't be used as lassos. I'm like, boy... The tips of their of their wires should be able to pierce through the thing like a pin cushion, and they just try to lasso it like a monster with rope. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh man! Like it's so bad. It it was hurting me the entire fight. Cool fight, wonderful fight, cool fight. But you know what else? What? You know what else? You know who pull? You know who pull out the shocking and amazing power we've never seen before? In the next episode, spoiler, Mako lightning bends. My bro is just shooting lightning out of his fingertips <laughs> in the car chase. Remember? Yeah, yeah, but he's guess what platinum. Guess what platinum also is when he showed up. It's more electrical conductive than copper. He could have shocked those things, bang, bang, <laughs> bang, and the fight would have been over. The guys would have been cooked inside of. <laughs> Like popcorn inside tin foil on a stove. The fight would have been over in two seconds. Marco! Marco. You could have saved us all! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what? Tell everybody the episode that you were thinking of when, in comparing, when you were telling me, like, <laughs> what problems you had with this episode. What was the Avatar episode that you were comparing it to? You guys remember the long rants I went on when I reviewed the episode The Drill? <laughs> when I talked about how Team Avatar had like 15 different ways to end the drill, and they found the hardest <laughs> and most convoluted ways to do it. And I remember what you said. You were like, well, give them grace. They're 12. Well, guess what? These people are not 12! <laughs> Grown-ass adults. <laughs> It's a bunch of grown adults, trained metal benders, and they don't realize, huh, I wonder if I could just pierce this thing, or maybe use some of the machinery that's literally lining the walls of this place, or that Korra wasn't like, I wonder if I could just take two giant slabs of stone and pancake these things between them, which she <laughs> totally could. We know she could. <laughs> And then there's Maka, who apparently did not learn anything about lightning, like the fact that electricity is conductive in metal to shoot the things with it. This man has been firebending the entire time, and in the next episode, he's just shooting lightning bolts like it's nothing. Oh, yeah, well, so that's why I was interested, because you said that, like, you didn't realize that he'd actually had lightning bent before that episode. Because, like, in, I think, episode three of, of Legend of Korra, we see that he's gotten a day job working at an electric plant, just like... Oh, that's right. He does. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's already even established that he has... They didn't even invent it in the next episode. They knew the whole time he has lightning. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> ah. It's terrible. You put a man with lightning powers against that, especially because they're literally using electricity from the mechs to defeat all of them. Mm. We're using electricity against the benders, but the benders forget to use the electrical powers that they have against these giant hunks of metal with with meat people inside them. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Todd is malfunctioning. It's all gonna make me lose my yeah. mind. It's gonna make me lose my mind. Like, seriously, I'm waiting for these mechs to come back at some point. Because they just invent them for nothing. I'm assuming they're gonna get used at some point oh. in the future. Absolutely. If they're not using lightning to bring down these things that are literally <laughs> just just super conductors, I'm gonna be so like, what are we doing? It's it hurts. You it, got it all out of your system. <laughs> it feels good. It feels good to get it out. Yes. Thank you. It it feels good to get it out. It does feel You're good. Welcome. <laughs> um. So for this episode, it's the aftermath of the big you know battle at the uh, pro bending arena so if as if the giant like physics debacle wasn't bad enough the most heartbreaking thing and maybe i should have let off with this because this is mm -hmm. the real heart shattering part cabbage core gets shut down <laughs> yes r.i.p cabbage man <laughs> never catches a break cabbage core cabbage core is shut down and you know what else was like a sad part tano Tano, that yeah. jerk from for the evil team, he doesn't have his mm -hmm. bending anymore. And I genuinely felt bad for him. <laughs> I know. It's like, wow, you kind of, you, they make him so pathetic in the scene that you're like, damn, I actually do feel bad for him, poor guy. <laughs> I like that they, that him and Cora, you know, he's there at the police station and he's been to all these healers in Republic City and none of them have been able to reverse what Amon did to him, taking his bending away. And he basically just like, tells Cora like you got to get him for me and they just kind of have this like moment of understanding between each other like it's such a great little moment um even though you know they were literally like fighting and brawling in the previous two episodes that they were in together but I like that like he's so humbled by getting his bending taken away like it really does change a person and um I don't know I just really love that that one little scene it's it's great <laughs> oh no no it is great that, that there's a, a sort of um a patching up I don't want to say mm -hmm. it's a reconciliation because he's probably still a jerk, but but like there is a little bit of a patching up between them, and I think it makes it it provides, if only briefly, something interesting, which is this guy didn't really have anything much mm. to stand on. His bending was the only thing in his life that gave him a sense of importance and and meaning and mm -hmm. anything. And it's kind of evident, and it's kind of an interesting statement, because, you know, people who are bullies, they, there's a void inside of them. There's something they don't like about themselves that they take out on other mm -hmm. people. There's unhappiness inside of them. And with all of his bending stripped away, all of his bravado, everything that he could lord over other people, everything that made him as great as he made himself to be and as intimidating as he made himself to be all centered around mm -hmm. his bending and the pro bending his pro bending reputation and pro bending skills and without it he's just the same unhappy person that he's probably been his entire mm -hmm. life it really puts in perspective for you it really humanizes you know people like that you know because they say a lot of times it was softens things in when you're bullied a little bit to realize that the way that they're treating you is not because you are less. It's not because you deserve it. It's not because you've even done anything mm -hmm. to them that they're after you for. They're working out that their own issues and they're working out in a horrible, destructive oh, yeah. way. And watching the bully be humbled is, uh, is also very cathartic. I mean, we saw it in the previous episode, we saw something bad right. happen to him, but we also see him sort of in a, like a, Hey, yeah, 
I'm a human being and I'm suffering and, uh, you know, thanks for doing your best right. to help me. Exactly. It's, it's a really good moment. And, you know, we also see later on the episode, we also see, um, you know, I like how the instant that Asami's family comes under fire, that Mako, ha, under nah, fire, get Mako, it. get it. <laughs> Yeah, we're right back on track, right where we left off last season. Uh, <laughs> um, boy, Mako sure reflexes really, really defensively. Like, <laughs> calm your insecurities down there, Mako. Exactly. We're starting to see, or I'm, I'm sure you're starting to see the cracks form in his character for the season. <laughs> Um, but especially in the next episode, but it, it starts here, and then it just gets worse with every episode. <laughs> um yeah well it's it's i mean it's pre it's pretty bad the way he kind of like oh, our friendship isn't no we're you can consider our friendship over if you don't drop this right now and i'm like bro, bro chill relax <laughs> yeah he's a man like i get you're really hot for this girl and you want her dad's money but like chill <laughs> yeah like it's almost a little bit it's almost a little bit if I'm not projecting too, too far <laughs> just in this moment, but I feel like he also is sort of mourning, not his own bending, but like the pro bending thing. Yeah. And now he doesn't really have much to focus his life on. So he's just focusing on Asami. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like he's shifting his attention. In his own mind, he has shifted his own self-importance from I'm a pro bender to the only thing he actually has, which is I'm Asami's boyfriend. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's uh, it's not good. Like Mako got to work on himself. He got to get his identity back. Yeah, pro, pro pro tip people like you exist outside of the relationship you're in, and when you start defending it so fiercely, just so you have a sense of identity, <laughs> end it, run. Right. And that's actually really good foreshadowing for not just him for the rest of the season, but for next season. Oh my god! <laughs> like again, I am not. Wow. I, I am not a Mako hater, but like, boy, do they do him dirty for the rest of this season and next season. He gets better by season three and four, but like, damn, anyone that's watched the show knows what I'm talking about. Jeez. It's uh, not good. <laughs> but, okay. But, uh, and a big okay. part of it is All that. Right. Well, I, I, I consider myself that a good judge of character if I can peg him right from the start <laughs> is having that problem. Wow, boy. Oh, I guess I only need to know somebody for seven episodes. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Yeah. What, what is that in real world terms? That's like three hours? Yeah, I only need to know somebody for three hours to... to yeah, I got you pegged for the rest of your life. Basically. Oh, jeez. Um, jeez. But yeah, no, I... <laughs> the whole yeah the whole mako and asami and Korra kind of feuding that happens in this episode is like i understand from saki wow asaki excuse me who asami asaki um i i understand from asami's point of view why she would be defensive like she's probably been dealing with this for a long time like being a non-bender and like the equalist rising to power and all that um and her dad being you know basically the richest man in republic city mm -hmm. um but so i understand from her point of view but yeah mako lashing out the way he does and cora getting again like you were saying like jumping 
obviously she was right, but she jumped to conclusions really fast and without a lot of hard evidence. Um, she just happened to be right. And I think that's kind of like the the writer's foresight of knowing that she's right. Um, but uh, yeah, and I mean, it's not bad. It's not like a huge leap to be like, oh yeah, how would she have even came to that conclusion? But I feel like she needed more in order to like actually definitively be like, no, he's working with the equals, yeah. you know? Yeah. He, he, she, it was, it was a pretty flimsy accusation right. in the first place, but it was more the way he deflected it. It made perfect mm. sense, but he did it in such a shady way, <laughs> the way he did it. Like that would have rubbed me wrong to like, okay, I get that the first accusation was kind of impulsive, but now you just sound even more suspicious. <laughs> right. It's like that, that response to the accusation was too planned. Like that was too quick of a like, oh no, 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 it's a complete misunderstanding. Like you you don't understand. And I'm like, okay. Well, he sort of said too much because he could have easily said, oh, I, it, my competitor is gone and now I'm ready to strike at this. And he should have just shut right. up because everything he said afterward made himself sound super suspicious. Yeah, especially when he says nothing nefarious. I'm like, who, at, who says that? <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you're playing your cards it's too like, early. I, he... He, he might as well have just said, oh, yeah, I mean, what's next? You're going to accuse me of having a secret <laughs> equalist factory I right. built underneath my house? Absurd. Ridiculous. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, bro, you're not being subtle. <laughs> yeah, no, but, but I will say, I think that this is actually due to the um, the voice actor, Sashel Gabriel, for Asami, because when I first watched this episode, I was convinced that Asami was in on it, that she was, like, deflecting and, like, you know, being like, oh, of course you people would blame us. Like, just, it, she sounded super guilty, right. but it turns out, no, it's just, she had no idea and she was. Right, because there she is, like objecting super hard to the to the accusations which makes her sound like she has something to hide and then him being like overly smooth about the way he's covering it up so she sounds super right. defensive and he's like now 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 let me show you how we hide this properly <laughs> like proper super villains you know <laughs> yes exactly um so yeah no i i was but I will say, and I guess that we can say this now, because obviously she is not evil. Like you were, you had your suspicions that she was, and there's actually a reason for that. I did. Yeah, there's a reason for that because originally she was going to be, she was going to be a Mond lieutenant. Like, <laughs> she, I know. I'm like, God damn it! Why couldn't that have happened? <laughs> she was going to be like the right hand. But I do kind of like. I do, I do kind of like the way the show kind of subverts the expectations of people who are smart enough to suspect right. because she's posed as a good guy. And then because she's so benevolently good for no particular mm. reason, like I said, Mako's hot, but like <laughs> you don't randomly hit somebody and then just offer them a whole bunch of right. money and dinner and to be their girlfriend. Like, it doesn't happen. Wish it would. <laughs> Things would be much right. simpler in life. But but the point is, is that we, because of that, we suspect that she's evil. <laughs> and so I like that when her father offers her, he's like, daughter, take my hand. No, no, literally, let me pull it off and hand it to you. Literally, take right. my hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it is a very um luke and vader moment there which i again i didn't even make that connection until i rewatched the episodes like this is literally just the i am your father scene join us and together we will end this destructive conflict like um right and the mother's right. dead too like you know it's exactly the same yes. thing and of course you know she says no and does her badass you know electrocuting her dad and the and the chi blockers around them and being a bad bitch <laughs> um, that would be quite a twist on luke skywalker he's like you know vader's there just like join me and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son and luke's just like no and just shoots the lightning out <laughs> no, of his fingers he's like no no you will die <laughs> i would have loved that <laughs> <Shoot. laughs> that would have been great oh my God. <laughs> yeah you would imagine it. No one needs to like dub that over Palpatine's <laughs> voice over Luke and just add the lightning effects. We can deep fake it. We can deep fake it easily. We people do stuff nowadays. That'd be do great. <laughs> There's an app for oh that. I'm gosh. sure. Um, but no, it is a really effective scene. And for a split second, again, I wasn't sure if she was going to actually go with her dad or not because she had been, like I said, too yeah. nice, too giving, too benevolent. And I was like, is she really going to snap? Like, is this going to be the moment? Or was she already, like, you know, but I'm glad that she didn't. But at the same time, I am so upset mm -hmm. that she did, that she is not an equalist. Now, here's the thing. I, what I would have done if I was writing Legend of Korra, I've already done a huge rewrite of the first season, like, in my head of, like, okay, I love the groundwork here. But I think that some of the things could be rearranged. Some episodes could be short, blah, blah. But one of the biggest things is I would have made Asami a, a, a mom's lieutenant. Like I would have made her an active participant in the Equalist that has a change of heart, maybe midway or two thirds of the way through the season. And mm -hmm. then when she realizes that like, you know, Amon isn't what he says he is, or, you know, she betrays or he betrays her for whatever reason, like then she would switch sides to the Avatar team and just continue to be a good guy from then on air. Um, are you sure that that wouldn't be too cookie cutter Zuko that you're not just gender bending Zuko into like against them, but with, but then like sympathetic, but then goes hardcore against them, but then gets redeemed? I mean, redeemed? I think it would be different enough because it would happen all in the first season, not like a long drawn out redemption arc. Like it, it really That's would true. have been like a, sh like, I feel like for something like that to happen and it feel natural, it would have to be like a shattering re revelation that completely just ruins the foundation of what the Equalists stand for and thus breaking Asami's faith in Amon and the Equalists as a movement and being like, yeah, no, this sucks. I'm going with the good guys. Like, you know, it, I, because I'm not seeing her as being like an evil person as Amon's lieutenant. I'm seeing her as being like somebody that truly believes in the cause and, you know, had had her mother killed by a firebender, you know, and her house broken into by them. And so she has a reason to hate benders. And but through seeing maybe the Avatar and her team, you know, cleaning up the streets or taking out the the triads or whatever, seeing that bending is not evil inherently and that it can help people. And if you mm. work together, you know, if the non-benders and the benders would work together, they could actually achieve equality, peace, balance, whatever you want to call it. Um, and maybe that's when the when she realizes that, hey, that we're doing wrong. Like we're the bad guys. <laughs> Y'all caught me slipping. Like <laughs> that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know you lost me at the end because I mean Ramon was right, so I it still is right. So <laughs> I am like how they what is it end game where they have Thanos was right, Amon was right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this yep. world is broken and needs to be equalized. Yeah, oh, yeah, kind of does, kind of does. Yeah, things things yeah. are going real wrong, and it really is all kind of the benders' <laughs> Let's fault. Let's be honest. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah. I am sad that we didn't get to see yeah. evil, quote unquote, Asami or uh, uh, equalist Asami. But I do like that she is genuinely a good person and a you know a member of Team Avatar because I, yeah. I think she has a lot to offer the team and like they really underuse her, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, I really like her as a character still. Yeah, I really do like her too, and I'm sorry to hear that she's going to be so underused, but. Um, you know, the episode overall is, <laughs> I think, extremely solid. I, I think it is. No, really. I think it is. I really enjoy the episode. I enjoyed um, the setup with the whole, like, do we suspect this guy? Is he really evil? And then, like you said, the whole intrigue about Asami. The, the whole groundwork laid, I think, is really quite brilliant. Exactly like you'd said. Despite the fact that you have an alternate, like, but what if she did join and then we mm -hmm. have a redemption arc? I like the subversion that the, the, the writing is so clever that she's so nice that we suspect right. she's bad. But the subversion is she's not actually bad. She's good. And I like that. She's um, in the dark about her dad being evil. <laughs> I know. And I, I liked the whole, because the, the story really kept me in this episode really on the edge of my seat because I didn't know at any point in time what they were information they were maybe being fed. I was positive that when they mm -hmm. got the tip about it, that the twist was going to be that the tip right. was fake and that she was going to raid his house with a whole bunch of guys tearing up the place, and she was going to be like... There's nothing here. Okay, there's actually nothing here, and now you look like an idiot. <laughs> I would You know what I did love? I don't want to... For I, I, yeah, I don't want to for I don't want to forget this part, because I like just remember this, because it's not in my notes, is where Mommy Beifong takes her shoe off and slams her foot into the ground, and she's got the same seismic sense as her mother... I love mm -hmm. it. Loved it. The episode just like yep. jumped up so high for that. Like <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Little little moments like that where we get callbacks that make sense to Avatar because it would make sense that she would have seismic yeah. sense just like Toph did. Um and like I, I do love that too. Um but uh yeah, so I guess overall, what would you rate this episode? Well, I hope this doesn't come as a surprise, but I actually even wrote down in my notes what I would give it after watching the episode. So the episode loses points only because it loses a little, loses a half a point. We're going to be conservative. It only loses a half of a point because of the, what I consider a giant, <laughs> like, real world plot hole that you've made the mechs out of a uh, ha ha it's the purest metal ever and you can't metal bend it and when every other form of bending should be able to absolutely destroy it except for fire because admittedly platinum has a higher melting point than either iron or steel it's very very high so fire bending mm. forget it they're the mechs are impervious to fire everything else <laughs> 
squash them, electrocute them, like literally anything. Walk up to them and just punch them real hard. <laughs> like the mechs, the mechs, you might as well be fighting in, in like paper mache mechs. It's dumb. I get it that it was there to foil the metal benders, but it really shouldn't mm-hmm. have. So it loses it loses points for that just because I'm like, eh, you kind of outsmarted yourself by like trying to figure out a metal that would right. foil them. <laughs> um but the episode is very good. Uh I do like the arc of the Sami. I like the twists and turns of um is this guy actually evil or not? It was super satisfying to see that he wasn't just evil, like kind of evil. He's like super right. evil. Like there's a like there's literally ba- <laughs> there's banners with a man's face inside the factory to motivate the workers <laughs> to work for the enemy. What is it? Instead of big brothers um, watching, Amon is watching. <laughs> I give the episode a solid 8.5 out of 10. Hmm, higher than the actual IMDb rating. Interesting. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. For me, this is a really solid episode. It's not one of my favorites, um, but I would probably give this an 8 out of 10 just because I feel like in the beginning uh, of the episode, we didn't really touch on it very much because it's not much to say, but when they're just kind of hanging out in the mansion, I feel like that time could have been used better personally um you know maybe exploring the mansion more getting clues as to maybe these guys actually are not necessarily asami but maybe hiroshi is actually evil like they find banners or you know papers or something um but uh just i wanted more because they were going for this but i don't think they quite nailed it i wanted more of like a suspense kind of you know thriller vibe where you're not sure who to trust or, you know, where allegiances lie and you're just like, oh man, I don't trust anybody at this point. So I wish that they leaned more into that. But like I said, overall, I, even though, you know, you've kind of ruined the fight scene for me. Thanks. Um, but, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but overall, I think the fight scene is still really fun. Um, it is. I like seeing Tenzin actually get in on the action. I did too. Um, and obviously, you know, and Asami getting her moment to shine with her dad and all that was all great. Um, so yeah, I'd give it a solid eight out of 10. Good. Which leads us to the next episode. Oh, oh, I'm so excited. Lord, this episode was just like a disaster. I mean, I mean that in the best way. Uh, episode eight, when extremes me. No, no, no. Good disaster. Good disaster. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> uh, the episode is, of course, written by Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitsko. It's directed by Joaquim Dos Santos and Ki Hyun Ryu. It's uh, animated by Studio Mirror, and the episode aired June 2nd, 2012. The IMDb rating of When Extremes Meet is a very, very good 8.6 out of 10. Take us away with some Mm -hmm. fun facts. All right. This first fun fact makes me so mad. Um, Oh, (laughs) no. I just read it. The lowest viewership of book one. And I'm like, how? Okay. (laughs) Okay. I think all because very clearly, Amanda, all of the physicists were watching the last episode and we're and we're like, and we're done with this platinum. No way. I'm not watching the show anymore. Mm -mm. That's the majority of the Legend of Korra viewers. They're all science nerds. Uh, You can't make a show about the elements and think that kids who have the periodic table on their walls are not going to watch the show. Okay, come on now. Nerds. Nerds. Uh, Like, we're not nerds ourselves. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think that that's terrible. Because this is, honestly, like, 
yeah, not to, you know, skip to the end or anything with our ratings, but this is one of my favorite episodes of the season, mm-hmm. um, right up there with, you know, A Voice in the Night uh, as one of my favorites. Um, but anyway, so moving on, because I'm going to get mad. <laughs> Tarlock has a pet, hang on, a petroglyph. There we go. A petroglyph depicting Twee and Law, the moon and ocean spirit, encircling each other on the stone wall behind the waterfall in his office. Now, I had never, I've seen this episode about a million times and I didn't even realize that until I saw this. And then I went back, I was like, oh yeah, the moon and ocean spirit are behind him. That's so cool. Just a nice little bit of a, you know, continuity with the water tribe theme and everything. I mean, um, not, not to, not and- to fandom shame you, but I noticed that the first time <laughs> I saw did this you? episode, I did. When she, when she pulls me- the wall yeah. out, I was like, oh, look at that. And I paused it like, oh, look at that. That's uh-huh. cool nice yeah well to be fair the waterfall does obscure the view so <laughs> but it's a very very nice office <laughs> um and then our final fun fact actually also involves tarlock tarlock and cora's duel at city hall bears similar or sorry <laughs> bear similarities to the encounter between avatar roku and fire lord sozin when roku discovered sozin's earth kingdom colonies in the avatar and the fire lord episode in both cases, the Avatar arrived at the government building to confront a politician from their own nation about their previous actions against the people that they held power over. In both cases, the politician struck first. So again, this is another thing that I've seen this episode a million times. Never caught that parallel. And if it was intentional, like, awesome. Because it it is very similar when you lay it out like that. You're like, wow, yeah. this, this totally could be a parallel. That is very cool. And that is something, admittedly, that I did not draw a connection to. But that is very cool sort of in mm-hmm. retrospect to look back at it. Now, I went on a long rant about what I disliked about the previous episode. Now, granted, it was a kind of a, a kind of meta, you know, like I'm sure no, right. I really am sure nobody watching the episode knew it or bothered them. But for me, I know, no. I know too much. <laughs> I do. This is my role in life. I'm cursed with knowledge. Okay. But, right. but you are Cassandra. <laughs> but, but so, but, but to keep things in balance, as all things should be, um, why don't mm-hmm. you begin with a rant on what you love about this episode? Because I know you love Tarlock as a character. So mm-hmm. have at it. This episode is super Tarlock focused. <laughs> Tell everybody what you love yes. about this episode. Oh, man. Everything. <laughs> it's so good. This is, this is one of those episodes where it they pack so much into... It's, it is one of those packed episodes where they pack so much into the 24 minutes and it's crazy. It could be its own two-parter, I feel like, because they have so much in it. Um, and yes, it is It is very heavily focused on, uh, you know, Tarlock and his basically trying to rise through the ranks and get the ultimate power in Republic City, become the ultimate power in Republic City, even more than Korra. Um, and the extreme lengths that he'll go to to get that power and to secure that power for himself. Um, and I love that he draws that kind of comparison between himself and Korra. And obviously, that's a very cliche thing for the villain to be like, you know what, you and I aren't so different, actually. And the villain or the hero being like, you and I are nothing alike. I'm nothing like you. <laughs> and it's like, just admit it, guys. You you are alike. It's fine. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. And so... I mean, you you have the political intrigue with uh, Tarlock and abusing his power by rounding up these non-benders that are perfectly peaceful, like they're not doing anything wrong. But he is, you know, what he reminded me of this this uh, most recent time that I rewatched the episode. He reminded me a lot of Kent Mansley from The Iron Giant, surprisingly, because. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's a really weird comparison. No, but hear I me see out. it. Go ahead. Because go they both. Yeah, yeah. They both have. They're both great villains, by the way. Um, and they both have this insane paranoia that people, you know, for Kent Mansley, it's you know the Russians, the aliens, like they're you know they're going to ruin our America. But for Tarlock, he is terrified of the equalists and of non-benders because they are threatening benders and therefore himself and his you know position of power and so they it just it reminded me so much of that um obviously kent mansley is a more comedic villain tarlock is a more serious villain but still the paranoia is both is with both characters um and yeah so not only do we have all that but we also have this incredible fight scene, probably my second favorite fight scene in season one, honestly, right behind the arena battle fight scene um, between Korra and Tarlock when things kind of really come to a head mm -hmm. at the end of the episode. And you get this incredible fight scene with just stunning animation, sound design. Oh, my God. The sound that... in the final fight is <laughs> insane. So good. Like, and you know what's great about it? that there's no music it's mm -hmm. just the sound effects and just the visuals um and it makes it feel so visceral and real like no they're out for blood they're trying to kill each other um you know it's not this epic battle it is epic but it's not meant to be it's like you know it's actually a very intimate battle because it's just the two of them in this empty building and again there's no music there's no fanfare it's just them duking it out and it's so awesome oh my god um when he throws that first strike of water and she has to like it slices through her hair and she has to move out of the way i was like oh shit it's going down uh -huh. um yeah, yeah the final fight scene is just insanely good the intimacy of the battle as you were saying is out of this world um the stakes are so high because they've been built up through the previous seven episodes and also through the first basically three quarters of this episode you know we've been watching him wheedle and we've watching him manipulate we've been watching him push and push and push and keep getting away with it and even earlier in the episode she's losing her patience with him and he has been manipulating her and using her and she's just had enough of it the fight is not only global that she's fighting on behalf of the people that he is oppressing it the fight is not only representative of the battle between the benders and the non-benders the very conflict that Amon has inserted himself into that he's headlining but it's also very personal because for her she mm -hmm. has been used and abused and manipulated by this person and she's also had enough and you know what the best part is if she straight up murdered tarlock we know that she could talk her way out of it because everything in the starn city is covered up with just a really good one-liner explanation you can you can give a reason why a law needs to be passed you can give a reason why the police need to break into the richest man in town's house all she used to be like was like ah he pulled a knife on me and everyone would be like oh, okay guess so thanks avatar didn't realize he was that kind of guy right. that's awful yeah no it's it is i i love exactly what you just said one of the biggest excuses that core is able to get away with so much stuff is i'll call tenzin he'll fix it <laughs> <laughs> like literally every time she gets in trouble with the law she's like don't worry i'll call tenzin um but yeah no everything you just said is absolutely 100 on the money um and of course like we're going to talk about the rest of the episode but the fight seems the the main event here um but when you know, so Korra is basically beating Tarlock's ass. Like he he gives her a good fight, but she ultimately gets the upper hand. 
until Tarlock is forced to play his hand and bloodbend Korra. Did that shock you at all? It, I was horrified that of all the things that could have happened in this episode, and I mean, let's really quickly backtrack to make sure we're being a 360 about it. We can touch on anything we have to, but honestly, why? Why would we need to? When the highlight of the episode is the last six minutes, it didn't terribly, terribly shock me, him trying to manipulate Korra mm-hmm. to to get back on his task force. It didn't horribly right. shock me that they that they uh the team out the new team avatars patrolling the streets in in you know Papasato's uh you know roadster. It didn't terribly, terribly right. shock me when ten uh, uh when Tarlock manipulates the council in order to get them to enforce his curfew and it didn't shock me Mm -hmm. that all of it was because it's about her now that still just intrigues me because there's obviously more to be said more to be seen about it but at the end Mm -hmm. of the episode where he's bloodbending i'm like oh he's a witch (laughs) he's gotta be a witch because this guy is able to do something that as she said he shouldn't be able to do he can bloodbend Mm -hmm. when it's not the full moon so I'm like, hmm. Right. Now I'm not gonna now I'm just gonna say something outside for God in the universe and everybody. Part of my <laughs> brain goes, is Tarlock actually Amon? Because like how is he able to do so much messed up bending stuff? This guy can blood bend on a full moon. Amon without the full moon. Amon can uh, spirit bend or whatever they call it that only Aang yeah. could do. Like, what's going on? There's a lot of weird bending <laughs> shenanigans going on around here. Shenanigans. Shenanigans <laughs> going on. I am. I am. I mean, the whole thing is highly suspect. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Understood that reference. <laughs> um, yeah. No. So, and I'll just say this. Um, I'm sure you're wondering, how is he able to bloodbend without the use of a full moon? Because in Avatar, it was established that that was the only way that a bender or a waterbender could bloodbend was because the moon enriched them with the power that beyond their normal capacity. Um, and I can tell you right now, this isn't a spoiler. They never explain it. <laughs> it's <laughs> you just face bomb. <laughs> now this. This is one of those things that I can't, again, I can't really defend this, but in my mind, it is not like universe breaking or like rule breaking. Like to me, we've seen how much certain bending types, especially sub bending types have advanced in this past 60 yeah. years since Aang died. Right. Um, you know, metal bending has become commonplace when originally only Toph could do it. Commonplace being, you know, every one in a hundred benders or uh, earth benders can do it. Um, you know, the, uh, the lightning bending also commonplace. We see factory workers lightning bending like it's nothing. Whereas, you know, in Avatar, we, the only people we had seen lightning bend were the Royal firebending family. So, you know, to me, it's like, all right, bending has advanced beyond what we saw in Avatar, just like technology has. So it stands to reason that a sub bending like blood bending could have done the same, that it could have made... You know, bending could have grown so much that waterbenders are able, or at least a select few very powerful waterbenders are able to bloodbend without the use of the full moon at any time. Um, 
So again, it doesn't, I don't like that they don't explain it, but it doesn't like break the rules or the universe for me personally. It's, it's not a huge deal for me. Um, I know that's something that a lot of people are really upset about in terms of like, no, it was a hard rule that this is the only time I'm like, guys, well, it doesn't help. <laughs> well, it doesn't help their case that they literally had the main character <clears throat> ask, how are you able to do this? As if there's going to be some big reveal about how he's able to do it. Right. They shouldn't have done it. They should have just left it alone and had some like nerd fan in the back be like, Hey, he shouldn't be able to do that because it's not the full moon. <laughs> and everyone's like, shut up. We're joining right. the show. Like, you know. <laughs> exactly. Or when yeah, they or um, they could have easily patched it where when they had that panning upshot at the very end of the sky, don't put a crescent moon, put a full moon. Could have explained it immediately. Why open a door <laughs> for a mystery and intrigue and then not do anything about it? You could when when well, literally changing the background to be the full moon would have solved it. But see, that's the thing is that that's part of the shock is you're like, wait a minute, because I, I believe that they actually show the moon before, like at some point during the episode, they I believe that they show the moon before we get that big reveal. Um, and so it's kind of hinting that like subconsciously they were like, wait, is it a full moon? Okay, like, okay, okay. But I would contend that even if you showed the full moon... Avatar fans would not jump up and be like, oh, that means we can bloodbend. All the waterbenders can walk and bloodbend. Kor could walk and bloodbend if she wanted to. People don't know how to bloodbend. It's it's not something that's just shared common <laughs> knowledge. People don't know how to do that. I feel like him bloodbending would still be just as shocking because it would have truly confirmed that the guy isn't just an over-aggressive politician defending his point of view, mm. and he's not just pissed at Korra, he's literally evil. Because bloodbending <laughs> is the dark side in Avatar that was already firmly right. established. It was used by the witch and it was used by Korra when she, or not Korra, um, uh, Katara. Katara, thank <laughs> wow. you. Katara. Yeah. The names both start with K, they both end with R-A. Leave me alone. Ah. Stop, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> but, but Katara uses it when she's like, veering toward evil. So like, that would mm -hmm. be like, oh, he's evil, in case it wasn't obvious. He's bloodbending. <laughs> and at the end, for any nerd in the back who's like, you shouldn't be able to do that, just show the full moon. It's fine. Like, don't have anyone say it. Just just leave it there. Mm -hmm. I feel like it still would have had an well, impact. I, you're right. It, it Like, the bloodbending itself being a reveal is fine in itself. Um, but... I think that knowing what I know of what comes next, the fact that he can do it without the full moon is important. And it does make him leagues above other waterbenders. Okay. Um, and it, that, that aspect of it does get explained, but how he actually does it, like how he's able, you know, if they give an explanation, like what I just gave, like bending has just advanced so right. much that I am able to do this. They don't do anything like that. They just kind of are like, yeah, we're, we're throwing the question out of how does he do this and we're not going to answer it. But there is a reason that he can do it. And that's explored in later episodes. Um, but yeah, so, but either way, I was shooketh. Yeah, me <laughs> like, too. I really never thought, I never thought that we would see bloodbending again in the Avatar universe. And then just this suddenly happened. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't see this coming. Like this guy's clearly an evil waterbender. Of course he would use bloodbending. Like, right. um, it was just a, such a great scene. Um, 
but then kind of unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about i bet he for i bet he forges tenzin's signature on legal documents by ink bending too oh my god oh yeah he's so corrupt identity Um, theft is real (laughs) it hurts millions of people (laughs) every year oh my god um imagine tarlock posing as tenzin jeez um, anyway so going back my second favorite scene of this whole episode is the scene where um cora and the gang they're out on the patrol or whatever um looking for gangs to break up or, or whatever they're doing and they come across this group of non-benders that are out past the curfew that's been set by tarlock and the council um and they're not doing anything. Like the police scanners say that they may be armed and dangerous. They're being they're harassed not. They're just by the police. Civilians. You know. Yeah, and it is. It almost hits too close to home. You're like, damn, this is a little too real. <laughs> like, just normal people just trying to live their lives, and they're being harassed and you know crowded into police cars, and like, you know, it's it's really really well done. Um, and there's a line from one of the citizens that I've always loved and it's always like resonated with me. Um, it's this woman with a baby and she's like looking to Cora and she says, you're our avatar too, mm, which is like I love the perfect summation. Yeah. It's like the perfect summation of the avatar's role. Like she's not supposed to be, or he or she is not supposed to be, you know, just looking out for one individual nation or people's, or even the good or bad guys, they are for everybody. Right. Like that's why the Avatar is not supposed to be out, you know, trying to end wars with the Avatar state. Like, no, they're trying to end things peacefully and like come up with, you know, solutions to problems instead of just fighting and killing. Cause they could kill everybody if they wanted to, they're oh, the yeah. Avatar. Yeah. You know, they got super scion mode, but that's not what their role is. They, <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I, I do love that little moment. Um, and I I love that this scene just racks up with tension with every moment. So we have, you know, the power's been turned off in this section of the city for the non-benders. You've got this giant group of non-benders that are being harassed, like I said, by the police. Um, Mako, Bolin, Asami, and Korra show up. And, you know, Korra's trying to talk things out with Tarlog, saying, you know, hey, you need to turn the power back on and leave these people alone. Like she actually is trying to talk it out first. Um, and so he starts rounding up these non-benders, which is really cool using the police, um, what are they, barricades barricades or whatever to literally, yeah, to literally wrap around the people and group them together. I was like, that's so messed up. I love it. Um, (laughs) and, uh, and so as he's doing this, he notices that Asami is with Korra and Asami is obviously a non-bender. So he uses his water whip to grab her and arrest her. and that and then he arrests Mako and Bolin because they're associated with Sami and that's when Korra snaps <laughs> she's like oh my god she literally raises the two giant boulders and she's did not taking my boys away <laughs> literally like the I always get chills when she's when she literally screams Tarlock's name because she has had enough of his shit <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's about to crush this man and she totally could but obviously <laughs> um and yeah, it's just, it's a really great scene. And I wish that we had more scenes like it in the season showing just how oppressed non-benders are because we only get sprinkles of it throughout, you know, the episodes, I feel like. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Okay, I'm laughing because <laughs> in the moment when she lifts the two giant rocks up in front of Tarlock, 
I know it's because I'm tainted and because I've seen um, animated shows like Invincible mm-hmm. that I fully expect her to just crush him between the two. It's just the splatter <laughs> of like bones and blood. And I was like, oh, that's right. We don't do this. I forgot. This isn't an Amazon <laughs> Prime show. Oh, right. This is Nickelodeon. <laughs> and this is like 11 years ago. We <laughs> Right. Can you even imagine, though, like a, an actual R-rated like Legend of Korra where she just like just smashes him? Well, I can tell you, season three, there are some really hardcore deaths. Really? Like, I'm shocked. I am shocked that they got away with some of them. Like, it. yeah, I'm telling you, season three is like peak Legend of Korra. <laughs> it's so good. Okay. All right. Well, okay. We need to make sure that we get through these episodes fast. So yeah. Okay. Let's wrap this up and right. we can do the next one. Oh, that's right. We only do two episodes per show. Darn it. Right. Darn. <laughs> darn, um, darn. Darny darn. That's my favorite line from Lego movie. <laughs> darn, darn, darny, darn, darn. <laughs> Liam, Neeson is a, Liam Neeson is a gem in Lego movie. Like, I'm so sad that Bad Cop is not a character in the sequel, but like, okay, you know. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> they would have ruined his character anyway, just like all sequels do. <laughs> exactly. Um, wow, we just got really out <laughs> Anyway, um... Was there anything else in this episode that you wanted to discuss in your notes? Uh, no, not really. I mean, um, everything in it we pretty much just touched on. We didn't talk about the stupid jealousy thing. Like, oh my god. The jealousy thing, the, the whole love triangle thing with like Mako and, and Korra, it's kind of forced. <laughs> yeah, kind of is an understatement. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be nice because I like the show, but it's kind of forced. And I mean, at this point in time, could I just like, can I comment that I can, I can see where the show has, mm, I can see where the show has weaknesses. I like the show overall. I don't dislike the show, but I can see in general mm-hmm. where it has weaknesses. I can see where the at times mindless compulsiveness of the main character gets a little annoying. But, like, it's not enough to make mm-hmm. me dislike the character. I don't dislike Korra. There are some times where I'm like, right. why? But, like, you know, <laughs> you know, it's fine. Um, you know, admittedly, it's harder to endear an impetuous teenager than, like, an animal-cuddling, precocious 12-year-old. Like, it's... <laughs> right it's 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 very too different yeah it's really it's night and day you know it's when extremes meet exactly you know? <laughs> um i absolutely like honestly that is the only thing keeping this episode from being like a 9.5 for me is the stupid introduction of asami's jealousy that mako's a two-time in hope mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh yeah, again, Asami just being done dirty, like she didn't deserve this. <laughs> then it gets worse. Oh, it gets worse. Um, but uh yeah, Mako's starting to catch feelings legit now for Korra. And he's like when he straight up like helped her into the car. Is he though? Uh, Is he though? I mean like come on now. Yeah, kind of. And it's I mean, it's not like good. Like, I don't buy it, but like <laughs> It, it's real <laughs> um yeah and i just ugh, i don't like it and i love the idea <laughs> of them just going out on patrol the well so you know how ang's gang is the gang 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, for Korra, Team Avatar for Korra is the crew. Like, that's that's their name. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I like the idea of the crew finally, like, coming together and being like, yeah, we're the new Team Avatar. And, like, you know, taking their sweet ride out in the city and, you know, trying to break up gangs and all that. Like, that's really fun. And you get a nice, cool action scene out of it. But then you got, like, freaking mm-hmm. Mako and Korra flirting in the background of the car, or, like, in the backseat of the car as Asami's watching, and I'm like, Jesus, why? Why, why, it's why? It's so weak, though. Like, he helps her in the car, and I'm just like, bro, stop. Just be polite. And then Asami, chill with, like, the jealousy thing. Like, it's, it's all... It's just so toxic. <laughs> it, come on. It's so dumb. It it's is. really dumb. It like, like, middle oh school. I mean... <laughs> And the thing is that the episode is so good, but the thing is that, like, there are things like that that dock a little bit off of it for me, mm. because there is some, like, real waste of time, there is some, like, needless stuff like that that's just, uh, it's alright, you know? The action is good, the drama is superb, and, like, you know, the stuff with Tarlock is really, really good. Um, for myself, personally, I mean, I take the episode... I take the episode as a whole. The episode as a whole, I feel like, um, kind of spins its wheels a little bit in like the first half, and then it really. And I feel like that's kind of the trend with the core episodes. I feel like the first half of the episode sometimes spin their mm-hmm. wheels, and then they get traction, and then they take off at like a hundred miles an hour for the last half of the episode. Like that's happened a couple of times. The last mm-hmm. episode was like that. We're like kind of intriguing, cool, you know subverting mystery who's really bad and then like boom action sequence mechs that you can't kill for some reason and everybody they're tying up the cops and they're saving them like it was great mm-hmm. and this episode's the same way it's like jealousy and like frustration and you know a relationship angst and ooh political intrigue okay actual police state and like <laughs> crisis mode and battle to the death mm, in the and last bending. it's a little <laughs> and bloodbending it's a little jarring the episodes are not well paced but the drama is there and there's a couple of things like we said with the relationship stuff i don't care for the episode for me is a solid and conservative and i know you love this episode but i'm waiting to be impressed i'm waiting to be impressed uh 8.7 that's not bad um i'm actually only a little bit more than you i would give this a solid nine literally the only thing holding this episode back from like i said a 9.5 or even a 10 is the stupid relationship drama um and i i disagree about the pacing of this particular episode um I think that it actually is paced pretty well. And I like that the tension racks up as the episode goes along. And then finally like giant explosion at the end with the fight. Um, But uh, yeah, no, I I really do love this episode. Jealousy stuff aside. um, And uh, definitely one of the ones that I've watched multiple times just by itself. Um, And uh, yes, I would give it a solid nine out of 10. Nice. Yeah, the episode, I like that the the pairs of episodes really leave us us on cliffhangers, because the last episode, like, the odd-numbered episodes, the first one of, like, the two we watched, really don't. They wrap up kind of nice. And then the second one is the one that we're like, what's going to happen next time? Because I've really, like, I have no clue what in the world's going to happen next. (laughs) He's... I, I really don't know what hole in the ground he's going to stick Cora into to be like, where are you taking me? Someplace where no one will ever find you. Like, like You are not ready for the next episode. It is 
you're gonna be like, what? It's so good. Oh my god. Yeah, no, I'm not ready because every single one of these, like, I'm shooketh by the end of it. Um, and yeah, like Tarlock. I don't know how much lower he can go, but you know, <laughs> the show can. That's the one thing that's a big plus of the show is it continues to subvert my expectations. Like I'd said, there are people that you're like, whoa, that went a lot farther than I expected, mm-hmm. or like, whoa, okay, confrontation with the main villain in only like the fifth episode. Didn't know that was going to happen. Like, <laughs> right. you know, it, it really, it, and the fact that it can go from zero to 100 so quickly is a criticism i have in general about each of the episodes pacing granted i will give you that it's kind of justified in this episode Mm. it's just it's formulaic at this point but the fact that the show will go from zero to 100 and you're never sure when exactly it's going to happen is still something that because they dial up the intensity so fast like it has it has big we only are making one season of this show energy. we're gonna make it count like, damn it things <laughs> yeah things when things go to hell they go to hell really fast <laughs> right. and really far so yeah i uh i i again as always just can't wait to see what happens next but i really am wondering what other curve the show is going to throw at us we'll so see. can't wait That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.